Welcome to Copyright Clearance in this podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, January 19th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Welcome back, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, so a week ago, we confined our discussion here to the publication of Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. And 2018 is already a fortnight old, and Wolff's explosive and revealing reporting has made the title the clear frontrunner for book of the year. He reported for us then that publisher Henry Holt had struggled to keep up with the frenzied demand. So a week later, are books finally making it into readers' hands? Uh, yeah. So it appears that books are indeed getting into readers' hands. You know, as PW reported this week, Holt's efforts to rush more copies of Fire and Fury into bookstores appears to be showing up in sales. According to BookScan, which tracks about 85% of consumer sales, Wolf's tell-all book about the Trump White House sold just under 100 92,000 copies in the week that ended January 14th, which marks the title's first full week of sales. And that's not too bad. Remember, Holt had initially printed 150,000 copies, uh, that figure according to Macmillan CEO John Sargent. So in that sense, the fact that it's brushing up against 200,000 in print sales, plus there's a hell of a lot more ebook sales, we know that given that the book was out of stock, well, that has to be seen as good news. All right. So uh, could there be a downside to having a red hot bestseller? Is there is there on the one hand and on the other hand here? Yes, as a matter of fact. On the other hand, you know, as I mentioned last week, you know, I'm still skeptical that everyone who wanted this book two weeks ago is going to go back online or go back to their local bookstores to buy it now once the copies are finally getting out there. And remember, Sargent said that Macmillan printed another 700,000 copies and that the company had 1.4 million orders. Uh, and as of yesterday, Amazon was still showing a wait of about two to four weeks to ship the book to its customers. So I think the concern has to be for Henry Holt that that this fire is going to flame out. And anecdotally, I'd note a few things of concern. Uh, one is that we're not seeing the author, Michael Wolf on TV that much anymore. Uh, and Michael Wolf doesn't have his own robust platform uh, like reporters from the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal that appear almost every day on cable TV as commentators. And while the book is still listed as Amazon's top-selling title, It's now followed closely by David K. Johnson's It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump White House is Doing to America, which was released by Simon & Schuster on January 16th. And indeed, I'm seeing a lot of David K. Johnson on TV these days. But mostly, you know, we're not just talking about Trump's shithole country remark and DACA and a government shutdown and Steve Bannon's subpoena from Robert Mueller. Uh, You know, Wolf's central thesis is that Trump is not a stable genius and that his White House is chaotic. And honestly, we don't really need a book to tell us those details. We see them pretty much every day on cable TV. So I'd be a little concerned, as I mentioned last week, that Wolf's window of opportunity for selling books is in danger of closing rather quickly. Uh, That said, even if the book does miss out on a few sales, there's no question it's been a huge, huge success to the start of the year for Henry Holt. Uh, Indeed. And of course, one of the things that pushed the book forward was the president's own attempts to block its publication. And that just kicked off a discussion about censorship and and the free press. So anything new on that front? 
Nothing new on that front. You know, our listeners can read uh, McMillan CEO John Sargent's response to the president in a letter that he wrote to his employees, as well as McMillan's lawyer's response, and both are really quite good. But I think it was clear from the outset that nothing was going to come from this, except, you know, of course, Trump talking tough and furthering his crooked media narrative, uh, and the publishing community using this as an opportunity to step up and defend the free press and, of course, generate a little publicity for the book. When Beyond the Book returns, Publishers Weekly's Andrew Albanese has questions about why the U.S. publishing community is keeping mum over net neutrality. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, January 19th, 2018. Monday's issue of PW includes an editorial expressing concerns about the Federal Communication Commission's decision to repeal net neutrality protection for consumers. Listeners can read that editorial online today, Andrew. And the point there is uh, it's made there that publishers aren't yet showing any concerns of their own on this issue. Yeah, that's right. You know, and there's news this week for supporters of net neutrality. Uh, two important developments. On Tuesday, we learned that 50 senators have now committed to a bill under the 1996 Congressional Review Act that would actually block the FCC's December repeal of those net neutrality rules. And the New York Times reported this week that more than 20 states and a host of public interest groups have now begun the legal battle to block the FCC's repeal. So movement in the legislature and movement in the courts. But in our editorial, we note that a key voice still remains noticeably absent from the net neutrality debate, and that's the voice of publishers. And this despite overwhelming support for net neutrality protections from the public, from the library community, from author groups, and from dozens of related literary organizations, including PEN America. So we recently reached out to the AAP, and we asked them for their position on net neutrality, and the response kind of took us by surprise. They basically said the AAP has no formal position. But given the repeal of net neutrality protections, potentially dangerous impact on free speech and the free expression of ideas online, we at PW very much see net neutrality as a publishing issue. And it's clear that just about every other constituency in the publishing ecosystem does as well. In recent comments to the FCC, a coalition of the nation's top library associations stressed that preservation of an open internet is essential to the nation's freedom of speech. And in a December 12th letter to the FCC, Nearly 1,900 members of the Authors Guild signed on to a letter showing that they unequivocally recognize the danger of the FCC's actions. Uh, and I'll quote the letter here. As authors, we rely on the Internet to make our voices heard. And they concluded that uh, the, the removal of net neutrality protections will absolutely harm the free speech of American writers, among others. Okay, so why do you think publishers have been silent on the issue? And what does PW want anyone to do about it? Is there anything publishers can do? 
I don't know why specifically publishers have been silent or why specifically the AAP has been silent, but as we note in the editorial, net neutrality, it may seem like a tangential issue to the book publishing industry at this point. And of course, publishers and the AAP have very limited bandwidth for the issues they can take on. But here's the thing. Right up there with copyright, supporting free speech is one of the AAP's core policy areas, uh, as too is embracing digital publishing. So it's a little curious to us that AAP is yet to issue a single statement on the issue of net neutrality, while in contrast, its counterparts in the publishing ecosystem, including the ALA and the Authors Guild, and of course, uh, you know, the public at large, have been consistent vocal supporters of net neutrality protections. Now, can you imagine the AAP not having a position or having a statement on an issue that brushed up against copyright. Uh, But as we see it, free speech and the free flow of ideas are the lifeblood of the publishing industry, every bit as much as copyright, and a vibrant open internet is crucial to the future of publishing as copyright policy, which is why we believe that publishers can't sit this one out, that any any threat to free speech and the free flow of ideas has to be seen as a threat to the publishing industry as well. Now, I have to stress, we're not looking to call anyone out here, we're not looking to criticize publishers or the AAP. What we want is their involvement. So, you know, despite overwhelming public support, restoring net neutrality protections clearly is going to be an uphill battle in the wake of the FCC's repeal. But it's not too late for publishers to stand up for free speech and to stand with their readers and their authors and the library community. And now is the time to make that stand. AAP President and CEO Maria Polante is widely known for her policy acumen, and she has strong relationships in Congress. And that's where this battle is ultimately going to end up, in Congress. Uh, and as the world's most widely recognized champions of free speech, we think a strong and unified statement from America's book publishers can make a critical difference in the efforts that are now underway to restore net neutrality protections. Okay, so the critical difference on this show, Andrew Albanese, is having you join me every Friday for analysis of the week's publishing news. Thanks for speaking with me today from your office at Publishers Weekly. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, copyright exhaustion, what we call the first sale doctrine in the United States, can trouble legal minds because it drives at the overheated nature of copying in a time when nearly every individual is able to be an author, a publisher, and a copyist. At the annual Copyright and Technology Conference at New York's Fordham Law School this week, a panel of legal analysts examined Capital Records versus Redigi, a case that began in 2012. And as James Grimmelman told me, while the case remains on appeal, it's one that may have seen its time pass. I mean, maybe it's a good thing that the case has taken this long to wind through. A definitive, a definitive resolution, one way or the other, early on, might have been too broad. Copyright exhaustion and the first sale doctrine. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries, RightsDirect and Ixis, drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book, co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 